0: Good morning everyone. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. The scripture text that we will be examining this morning is Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 through 4. This particular passage can be found on page 472 of the Blue ESV Bibles. Those are located in the back pocket seat cover. Um, In the seat in front of you, we encourage you to take one home if you do not already have one available to you Once again, we'll be reading Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 through 4 Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry And the tempter came and said to him If you are the son of God command these stones to become loaves of bread But he answered it is written Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Thus says God's word. Thank you, Raven. If y'all would please bow your heads as we pray this morning. Father, we thank you for this time and this place that you have given us to gather here to worship you, Lord. I pray that you would uh, use me, Father, to faithfully communicate your word the gospel of truth this morning, that your people would be led and encouraged, Father, and those who may not know you may come to know you this morning. Thank you, Father. Amen. Y'all may be seated. So, I was asked to speak this morning on um, the question of why is it important for men and women to be in the Word of God? And so I'll start off by saying this morning, I don't really intend to give you some uh, knowledge you may not have already had, um, and if I do, uh, and to share with you something this morning that you were formerly unaware, glory to God. But what I hope to do this morning is deepen, sharpen, and help make real for you the life-altering truth concerning your walk in faith that it is grounded, sustained, and maintained in the Word of God. So in order to answer this question, I think it is important that we um, go back and understand something that is foundational to everyone who believes. What is this thing? It is faith. I think it is key for us to understand faith if we are ever to get to the point of understanding the importance of reading the Word of God. So if I were to ask you, or you were to ask me, this morning, what part of, of understanding faith, does it, what part of that has to do with understanding the importance of reading the Word of God? My answer would be everything. Now this morning, I don't think that any of you here would disagree with that statement. In fact, I'm sure if I asked you that question, many of you would have great responses. But my hope is to help us refine, define, and define what we understand about faith so as to realize more clearly why faith itself is the very driving force for believers to read the Word of God. It is the wood to the fire, the gasoline to the vehicle, the rocket fuel uh, for our understanding of God as we launch into a vast universe of the knowledge of God. And then by understanding that knowledge, we will glorify Him. So to start, let's go back to the beginning. How are we saved? Ephesians 2.8 says for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of god so we are saved by grace through faith by grace god reaches out his loving hand and causes us to believe and in faith we grab hold to we grab hold of it clinging to the knowledge of god because it is by him alone that we are saved now, please understand me clearly here. I'm not saying that we did anything to actually save ourselves. Ephesians 2, 1-5 says this, And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. So let me ask you, how well can a dead man crawl himself out of a burning building? Not at all. Likewise, we did not save ourselves, but God, out of his great love for us, has saved us. Here is what I am saying. When God saved you, you were made alive in Christ to bear good fruit through faith in God himself. Who made you, who has made you alive? We see this in Romans. Romans 4, 9 through 11 says, is, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we have the faith, for we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So the question being asked here, I know this is kind of a confusing worded passage. It can kind of be hard to understand. The question being asked here is, who can receive the blessing of forgiveness of sins? We see this if you go two verses up. You see that's the context of what's being talked about here. Is the blessing of forgiveness of sins given to those who have already started keeping the law, or have kept the law? Or is the blessing of forgiveness of sins given, and then those who by faith have believed keep the law? Paul responds saying, Faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Well, if you are righteous, then your sins must have been forgiven. As no one can stand before the Father unless their sins have been atoned for. So Paul then asks, so was Abraham counted, uh, so then Paul then asks, was Abraham counted righteous before or after he had obeyed the law? Which Paul gives us the answer. It was not after, it was, or is not, he was not after, but before. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. So what Paul is pointing out here is that Abraham was counted righteous before he had done anything right. Abraham was counted righteous as soon as he had faith in God's word. And then Abraham obeyed God and became circumcised as a seal or a proof of the righteousness that he had by faith. This is key for two reasons. One, So here we see that Abraham was saved by grace alone, through faith alone, according to the word of God alone. We also see that true faith leads to godly fruit. So keep this in mind as we move forward. So to sum it up again, we are saved by grace through faith. By this we can clearly see that our very salvation is grounded, rooted in faith. But now, we must ask two important questions to understand as we move forward in our faith. It is important to ask these two questions so that we do not stray from, as Jesus points it, puts it, the narrow way. So the two questions that we must ask are, one, what exactly is faith? This is important to help us as believers to have proper faith and not to use faith as a tool of manipulation of manipulating other people or a tool to prop ourselves up as hyper-spirituals claiming to have secret revelation or secrets from God and lead men astray. The other question, question number two that is important for us to understand is what exactly as Christians are we to put our faith in? This is key to knowing where our faith must come from. So to the first question, what is faith? Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. But see, we have to be very careful with what we do when we read this passage, because if we're not careful to keep this pad, this portion of scripture within its context, we can very easily take it to say all kinds of different things that it is not saying. I'll give you an example. If I were to uh, this morning say, hey, everybody, follow me outside and I'm going to and I go and I crawl up on the peak of this building up here and I say, you know, like, what are you doing? I say, oh, well, I'm going to jump off. Because I have faith that if I jump off this deal, I can fly away like a bird and be free, right? You would all be like, hey man, not a good idea, come down from there. And I'd say, well, no, no, but look, Hebrews says this is what faith is, right? I have the conviction and the, I have the hope, right, and I'm convicted of it that if I jump off here, I actually will be able to fly. And I'm I'm sure that although I've never seen anybody do this, and although it's never been done and actually scientifically proven to be impossible... I think this is going to work, right? Well, of course, that's not what the passage is teaching. What this text is saying is faith, if we keep it inside the context of Hebrews, what this text is saying is faith is having assured hope in all of God's promises, having faith and hope in his very words, knowing that his speaking is his doing and being convinced that although I cannot see physically the kingdom of God at work, and I cannot see this realm of action that God is dwelling in, I know He is working to fulfill all of those promises for my good and for His glory. That is faith. That is what Hebrews is actually teaching us. Now you may be thinking, well... You are telling us uh, what faith is. Did you also not tell us what we put our faith in? Well, yes, but let me clarify. So to the second question, what are we to put our faith in? Here we come to a passage of Scripture where I think you'll begin to see, as I think many of you already have, where this is going and how this ties into answer, answering the question, why is it important for men and women of God to be in His Word? Romans 10.17 says this, So faith comes from hearing... And hearing through the words of Christ. You see, faith does not come through a series of emotional experiences. Although emotional experiences may play a, play a part in how you have come to faith in the word of God, we must not be led astray by our emotions or we will find ourselves in a pool of even more deception and confusion. Or even worse, having a fake, uh, false gospel. Faith does not come through signs and wonders. We see this as God freed his people from Egypt using great signs and wonders, parted the Red Sea right in front of them, led them through the desert with a cloud by day and fire by night, descended on Mount Sinai in fire, spoke to them through thunder, and only a few weeks later they build a golden calf and worship it instead of God. If you don't take my words for it, let's hear the words of Christ. Luke sixteen nineteen through 31 Jesus gives us a story, a story of a rich man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who lived in his dwelling place and ate well, and, and there was a poor man named Lazarus who at his gate, poor and hungry. They both died. It says that the rich man, Jesus tells that the rich man was taken to Hades, and Lazarus was taken to be by Abraham's side. The rich man, being in Hades in torment, cries out to Abraham across a great chasm. It says, Abraham, would you send Lazarus back from the dead to warn my family of the torment to come? To which Abraham's response was, yeah, sure, that'll definitely work. No. No, Abraham's response was this. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. We see this proven several times in Scripture. In fact, concerning someone rising from the dead, we see at one point in Scripture there actually was a Lazarus who was re- risen from the dead. Christ rose him back from the dead, and people still doubted. Christ himself died on a cross, and three days later he rose from the dead, and people still Doubted, even Thomas himself, until he saw the mark in Jesus' side and hands. So if you will notice, Abraham, in his argument with the rich man here about belief, Abraham points the rich man back to Holy Scripture to be his family's warning, not his emotions, not his experiences, or personal or private revelation. So please hear the urgency of what scripture is saying here. Faith comes by the hearing of the word. So if faith comes by the hearing of the word, then that must mean the very thing we put our faith in is simultaneously the thing we build our faith from. What is that word? Not private revelation. Not secret prophecy not an emotional speech, it is the Word of God. So as I move into part two, or to my second point of this message, I want to be very clear. Without the Word of God, you have no faith. No Christian can ever come to you and say they have been saved without having heard the gospel according the God having not heard the gospel as it is given to us according to the word of God. Because all they have then is a faith in a god but not in a, the God And we only know it is the God of the Bible if it lines up with the words that God has spoken in his Bible. Outside of the word of God that God has preserved throughout history for us, we have no faith. So remember why I started talking about faith in the first place. Why is it important for men and women to be in the word of God? The answer, because without the word of God, you have no faith. You have no hope, you have nothing. All you have are what we can scrounge for and find little things that please our flesh here and there, but at the end of the day we'll find, we'll find it to be shallow and empty and leading us to no life, only deeper into death. Now that we understand, our faith is hinged upon the very word of God it 's founded on the very Word of God. I want to help us understand tonight two, or this morning, two important things. The power and the reality of the Word of God, and how the truth of that should make us feel like deer panting for water, and the water is the Word of God. This book, you see, is not just another self-help book. It's not just another fine financial independence. It's not just another make-you-feel-good book. It's not a book of old folk tales and mythology. No, this book is the clear, inspired Word of God. Now, when I say that, I know what comes to most people's minds is, yes, we know these words are were left to us by God and inspired by him and his words. And although those words are true, I think it comes terribly short. I think our understanding of those words comes terribly short of what the reality of what we're saying actually means. We know that these words are the words of God. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God. I do not believe agreeing on this idea or this concept is... is. Uh, I don't think that we have a disagreement here. I think most of us here this morning agree with that. But do we really understand the gravity and the weight of what that means? Let's look at a passage of scripture this morning that I think will kind of help us get a better idea of what it means by these words being God breathed. Consider Exodus 19 and 20. We see this time where God descended on Mount Sinai in fire and thunder and makes <clears throat> and speaks to the people who are sitting down below the mountain with a voice of thunder. And in Exodus 20:19, the people literally are so scared, they tell Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. They're saying, look, look, man, you go up and you can talk to God and you tell him what he said, but please do not let him speak to us anymore for it is too terrifying that we might die. They were terrified when they heard the words of God. Do you realize that the same God who spoke those words to those people is the same God who spoke the words of the scripture you read and that we hear this morning? Even more so, do you realize that those same words that made those men and women react with such terror are the same words you are holding in your hand? Do you realize that the words you read in this book are the same words that cause Isaiah and Isaiah 6, as Pastor mentions this morning, to go, woe is me, I am undone. When you read these words, does it cause you to say, woe is me, I am undone. I am a man or a woman who lives amongst the people of unclean lips, and I am a man or woman of unclean lips. Do you think that way? When you hear the word... When you hear and read the words of God in this book about Christ's death on the cross and how he suffered the wrath that you deserved, does it cause you to want to sing out in song like they sing in Revelation chapter five? Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and glory and honor and blessing. The words in this book are not empty words. They are not shallow words. They are real, they are living, and they are active. Hebrews Hebrews 4, 12 tells us, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. When Isaiah stood before the throne of God, he didn't come up there and say, Oh God, what a nice place you have here. When the people heard the voice of God on Mount Sinai, they didn't say, oh, that's a good point, God. We should definitely do all that law stuff. That sounds real good. No, they were terrified. Do we realize that the words in this book are the same exact words that throughout history, mighty men have trembled before and their knees have failed them when hearing these words? When we truly understand and hear the words that are in this book, We all realize that we are left exposed, undone, and condemned. John three seventeen for God did not send or yeah, John three seventeen, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved. So let me ask an important question we tend to skip over when we read this passage. Why did Jesus not come to condemn the world? John three eighteen. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Jesus didn't need to come to condemn you because he knew by his very speaking, you knew you were condemned. Jesus did not... uh, When we stand before a holy God, we know and we will know that without the atoning death of Christ on the cross and his righteousness imputed to us through faith... We are condemned. This is the power of God's word. Another example of the real active power of the word of God is Stephen. In Acts chapter 6 through 7, we see Stephen standing up, speaking before a people who wanted to silence him, and hearing the testimony of Jesus Christ through the mouth of Stephen, the people became, as it says, enraged. And in their rage, they drug Stephen out of the city and stoned him to death. I was talking with someone the other day, trying to, uh, we were just discussing the word of God and the effectiveness of it, <laughs> and the funny thing that we were talking about is if you go out and you preach the gospel, if you don't believe me on this, watch some of Ryan's videos on YouTube where he's sharing the gospel on a college campus, if you go out and you preach the gospel and you share a truth, believe me, if it was legal for people to drag you out of the city and stone you, they would. They would. Thank you because the common grace of God in our country at this time that is unacceptable so we can go out there and share for the most part without fear of being drug out of Lubbock City and stoned to death. Look, when people hear the word of God, you will always have two reactions. You will see those who by the power of the Spirit working in their hearts will say, I will go, send me, as Isaiah said. Or like Moses, they will be willing to climb the mountain of the words that we find in this book and stand before God and say, Lord, show me your ways. And then you will find the other response. Those who say, no, speak no more. It is too terrible for us. We cannot stand it. And they will want to silence you. For they are condemned already. So understanding the power of the Word of God, I want us to look at Romans chapter 1, verse 16, and really try to understand the weight of what Paul is saying here. Romans 1, 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and also to the Greeks. You see, Paul knew... That by having faith in the Word of God, you could know Christ, and by knowing Christ, the Word made flesh, you could be saved from your sin. Paul knew that it's the words of Christ, it's His words about Himself that are what lead us to salvation. Do we live like we believe that? Do we live our Christian life, our day-to-day life, like we believe that? Jesus gave us an example of living on the Word of God. You he heard it this morning. It was the opening text, Matthew 4, 1 through 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these loaves to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, Jesus was led into the desert. He was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted. As I think we should all expect as new converts, Jesus was not a new convert here, obviously he was the son of God. But you see, there's a, there's a direct connection where having received a great title, being a son or daughter of the living God, which is a great honorable title, we should expect humbling to follow directly behind. This God would use the temptations as a means of humbling us. So although Jesus being made, so although being made new in Christ and now conquerors, we always must remember that it is in Christ that we rely on. It is Christ's words we rely on. And Christ displays this perfectly in this situation. Because see, Christ, when he was led up, when he was led to be tempted, it was not to his humbling so as he might fail. for there can be no conquering without conflict. Quote Matthew Henry. And being led to this conflict by the Spirit, Christ displayed Himself well-equipped to block the arrows of the evil one and slay the dragon Himself. Arrow after arrow, temptation after temptation, shot at Jesus by the devil to make the spotless, In an attempt to make the spotless lamb uns, or spotted, so as to be insufficient for our salvation. But Jesus, being fully man and fully God, swinging back every arrow and breaking them with the sword of the Word of God, he conquered Satan and defeated him on that day. And Satan, as it said, was, and Satan, being weak and tired and defeated, as it says, left him. You see, it tells us here that Jesus was hungry, but he did not seek after life by eating earthly food. His life was sustained by something far more valuable and effective than earthly food. What was it? It was converse. It was converse with the Father. Converse with the Father was enough food to sustain Christ in the time of temptation. In fact, not only food enough to survive, but more than sufficient to stand firm and ward off that mighty dragon, Satan, on that day, only to later slay him finally on the cross of Calvary, not too long after this. But here, here's the tragedy for many of us, and I am plenty guilty of this. The devil doesn't even need to knock me off a consistent path of being in the Word of God. He just has to keep me from it. He just has to keep me distracted enough that I don't feel the need to go to it. He just has to give me enough temptation that I deceive myself into feeling like it's not necessary. You see, Jesus on this day was perfectly walking in the will of the Father, living on His every word. Do we live that way? <clears throat> Do you live on the word of god do you find life through reading the word of god you know why jesus talks about himself as the bread of life and living water because you cannot live without food and water so let me ask you believer do you read the word of god as though it is your food of water food and water Do you realize that without the Word of God, you cannot live? Do you want the Word of God more than you want breakfast in the morning? Do you want the Word of God more than you want Hulu and Netflix and all the entertainment and distractions, the football games, whatever it be? Because here's the reality of it, friends. We can live without the news. We can live without entertainment. But we cannot live without the Word of God. You may, through those entertaining things in the news, you may deceive yourself into believing you're living. But believe me, without the word of God, we are all dead. Without the word of God, we have nothing. Without the word of God, nothing would even exist. John 1.3 And how can I teach all of these things this morning? Lord willing, by the Word of God. Only by the Word of God. So, to conclude, why is it important for men and women to be in the Word of God? Because without the Word of God, we have nothing. But by the Word of God, we have life. It's in the Word of God we must have faith, it's by the Word of God. We will find faith, and it's because the Word of God we can have faith. Only by knowing the words in this book, the words God has spoken, can we find life and life eternal in knowing Christ. So to go back to what I said at the beginning, Psalms 42 1 says, As a deer pants for living streams, so pants my soul. So pants my soul for you, O God. So does your soul this morning long for the word of God? For this is the fruit of faith. And we find faith by hearing and believing the word of God. Go to the word of God and you will find life and life more abundantly. John 10.10 So considering living on the word of God, if you would go ahead and stand with me this morning. So we prepare our hearts to take communion. Helpers, if whoever's uh, helping us this morning, if y'all would like to come up and be prepared to serve the communion. I hope this morning, if I didn't say it enough, I'm sure y'all are well tired of me saying we cannot live without the Word of God. Christ says this about himself in John 6:53 through 54. So Jesus said to them, "Truly I say to you, unless you eat my flesh, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day." So as we prepare to take communion this morning, for those of you who have not put your trust and put all of your faith and hope in the Word of God, in Christ, His death and resurrection on the cross, atoned, atoning for your sins, I would encourage you to abstain from this table this morning. But for those of you who have believed, this is for us. I was discussing with Pastor the other day and he was explaining to me the, the importance of the spiritual transaction that takes place when we take communion. The spiritual oneness. Christ says, if you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you have life. He says in another part, if you eat his flesh and drink his blood, he abides in you and you in him. We take this this morning, being one with Christ, having received his gospel and believed by faith. So if you would this morning, for all those who believe, go ahead and come and partake, or grab the bread and the grape juice and we will prepare to take communion. So being those who have put our faith in Christ this morning, in His very words, as we contemplate this idea of abiding in Christ being one with Christ through the power of his word and by the grace he has given us. Let's hear the words of Paul. 1 Corinthians 11, 26 For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said this is my body which is for you do in remembrance of me lord we thank you for this bread that you've given us this reminder of your flesh that was broken of your great grace that you have given us we give thanks this morning you may take the bread And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you for your blood that was spilled on that cross. That is our salvation The purity of your sacrifice, the holiness of your blood, the holiness of who you are, poured out for our sake. We thank you, Father. Let's take the cup. Father, we thank you for communion, Lord. We thank you that in this... We remember you often your great love and your sacrifice. So if you put your hands in a receiving position this morning, I'd like to leave you with a benediction from 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 22 through 25. Since you have <clears throat> since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. Be Go and be blessed. You are dismissed.